0: Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Welcome back to another show. Uh, This week we've got a fantastic guest for you. It's uh, Jake Henry, who's the foundation phase lead at Nottingham Forest Football Club. Uh, Nottingham Forest, a massive club here in England. Uh, Won the European Cup a couple of times in the past. uh, But a big club, top club and also a good track record of developing pros and players into the first team. So uh, Jake tells us about his story, where he's, you know, he's, he's coached at a few clubs, but now he's a foundation phase lead at Nottingham Forest, so it gives us a bit of an idea about the great work going on behind the scenes at that top club, and some of the innovation and, and the quality there. So lots of great insight, uh, lots of coaching gold, and stuff you can take away uh, for whatever level you're coaching at. So really privileged that Jake agreed to come on the show and share his story, and some of that great work going on at that top, top club just wanna share with you a, a cool, new, cool new little addition we've added to the club partnership now. Uh, so now you can add players of the week uh, from your club to the app. So the app has a section where it features player of the week, so players upload their own videos. and We feature some of the best videos on the player of the week section. If you're a club partnership, you can now have your, your you have your own player of the week section where you can feature your own players of the week so just supports a little bit of engagement adds a little bit of to the value to the in terms of engagement so you can feature your own players on there you can select them yourselves and have them on there so obviously as well as being able to check data check usage you can also set players you know training plans specific videos from the app anything on the app you can send them uh, set them training plans and they get a notification so for the training week uh, just um, you know really makes it you can see why you know clubs like Arsenal Wolves West Brom Middlesbrough other pro clubs you you know hundreds of grassroots clubs around the world utilize the My Personal Football Coach app as a world-class online learning portal for their players their clubs Uh, their their parents and their coaches as well. So if you're interested in a demo, just let me know, uh, drop me a message. I can set up a free demo. You can see why uh, my personal football coach is the choice for pro clubs and grassroots clubs all around the world. But without further ado,
1: let's get into the show.
2: So Jake Henry, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
2: Thanks, mate. Can you give us a brief uh, just outline of your playing and coaching journey up to this point?
1: Uh, Yeah, of course. So I'd say... uh... But from a playing perspective, there's probably not a lot to report, really, if I'm being honest. Uh, love my football as a kid, but um, was never really anywhere near the, the standard of like the, the top level, the elite. So it was more about enjoyment for me, but absolutely love the sport, love football, love being part of it. Um, and that's where sort of my passion for football grew, really, and found myself growing into more of a coaching. Like, sort of feel as I, as I got into my later teens, started coaching through uh, like community projects uh, in schools, things like that, um, early on in sort of 18, 19, 20. Um, towards the end of my degree, I did a sports science degree at Leeds Metropolitan University. Towards the end of that, I saw advertised a role with uh, New York Red Bulls in the MLS as part of their academy programme. And I was going through my coaching like level one, level two, um, youth modules, things like that at the time. So applied for that. Fortunately, was successful and spent 18 months out in the US uh, working in that program, which was which was um, incredible at 21, 22 years old. Um, and then since then, returned back to the UK and um, been coaching within Academy football ever since really. So for the last sort of 10 years um, both with I was with Forrest on a part-time basis whilst I worked full-time for the FA at St. George's Park in a coaching research role which was really interesting, multifaceted across the whole of football. Um, I joined Rotherham United for four years as their lead foundation phase coach um, after that and was exposed to the professional development phase and things like that and helping out with the under 18s uh, and obviously around the YDP as well, but that my role was the lead foundation phase. And then for the last two seasons, I've been back here at Nottingham Forest again, now as the lead foundation phase coach, looking after everything from uh, six, seven years old through to the under 12s.
2: Fantastic. So then, tell us. Let's wind back a bit there. Tell us about that Red Bulls. let me about the Red Bulls because I know Ricardo Moniz was a who was a big inspiration in my careers. Was a consultant there for a long time. Yeah, and he did a lot. Of, they, they they do a lot of quality technical work. So tell us a bit about your time there and about that. What what are the main takeaways working at that that big club?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it's such a big. Uh, big company really Red Bull because obviously they have more than just the one club they have a series of clubs as everybody knows across Europe across North America South America um, they had a, an academy in Ghana as well so people like Ricardo that you mentioned there would would work across all of those different uh, clubs and he would then and others would come in and do a lot of what we would see as standard technical work and a lot of player and ball work, 1v1s, 2v2s, a lot of concentrating on uh, dominating the ball. Um, so a lot of my role was working with um, local clubs. So what local clubs would do, they would they would go to Red Bull. They would then um, they pay Red Bull for the service of having a, a Red Bull's coach come into their programme. We'd work with various different uh, teams ranging from sort of five-year-olds, boys and girls, up to 17, 18-year-olds, boys and girls as well, um, and try and help them instil this Red Bull philosophy and mentality across their teams. And then what we would do is then we'd look at the regional development schools and uh, which is just previous to the uh, to the academy up to under up to under 13s out there and that's where we had a big impact from people like ricardo where that was where the red bull identity was started to be produced and obviously this was early on I, i'm i'm looking back now that's 2011 2012 so um, yeah quite a long time ago now but you can start to see now i would say across there across all of their clubs that that identity starting to come to life with all of the amount of youth players they get through in all these various different systems all these various different countries so yeah the 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 heavy technical work was was really interesting and you would like to say that it's starting to bear its fruit now for them as well
2: what was your main one of the main things you learned there in your first coaching job the main sort of things that have helped you on your journey
1: um I still look back at it now and I think how much of a great opportunity that was working there um we used to do we we had coach development sessions every week so three hours a week every week everyone from New York Red Bulls so from all over New York State New Jersey State would travel to one venue we'd all be together and we'd have something so that for me that sort of thirst for knowledge. Thirst for learning, I learned that a lot. Wanting to take things from different people, wanting to take things from different uh, different cultures, different environments. I, I probably I learned such a big amount of that there with Red Bull, um, and also that the responsibility really of like there you go, there's a there's a club. You've got to make sure that by the end of the season they're in the Red Bull mold, and so that buying into a philosophy and buying into a way of working which and um, it wasn't if I'm honest it wasn't really in negotiation that's how you work and so but that for me was was so eye-opening and it was brilliant because it was really clear this is the way we want to work but it it gave you that freedom to say well actually by the end of the season I know I want to get somewhere so I've got a plan to get myself there so it was yeah it was really really, really interesting to be part of that. And I, I grew massively in an 18-month period with with that club um, and look back on that so fondly now. And I definitely wouldn't be coaching where I am if I hadn't have been part of a programme like that, I don't think.
2: Yeah, so I, I reflect. I did two years out in, in New York, New Jersey as well. And uh, yeah. I always reflect in terms of having like a full-time coaching position mm. in, you know, in reality. So coaching every day and then coaching, like, say, from five all the way up to 18, You know, that having the experience of different age groups, different abilities day to day. So, when I got back to England and, you know, to Tottenham, where, or, you know, ever I was just, you know, I could hit the road running, I'd I'd done so many hours on the pitch. Do you think think that's important in terms of, you know, you just don't really get those opportunities in England that much, do you?
1: Huge. Absolutely huge. Completely agree with you. I think that it's, it's so wide ranging there, the, like you said, the standard that you work with. But the one thing I would say is there's no, there's no disparaging comments whether you're working with players who are playing for the love of it or players who are trying to get themselves a professional contract. You're all seen as one. And I think that's, that was really healthy in that environment at that time. And, and that, that really helped. And I think that, yeah, I completely agree with you. Working full time, planning relentlessly all day, every day, trying to get something together. Like it's, it was it was something I hadn't done. I'd just come out of university. I'd, you you read about these things and you try and get yourself around these environments more and more, but until you're actually chucked in at the deep end, really, it's it's really difficult to know how you're going to deal with that. So, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I completely agree with you.
2: And so why did you decide to come home?
1: Um, a bit of personal progression, really. I I was at the stage where I'd, I'd completed my level two. I'd done the... Of what used to be the first two of the youth modules. I really wanted to do my B license um, because I knew that that would then start giving me a bit more of an understanding of the game. It would start developing me as a coach. Um, I was offered opportunities to do the American equivalents. Um, I felt that the UEFA qualifications at the time held more weight than maybe the qualifications in, in other countries at that time. And so I wanted to do that. I could have traveled back and forwards, but the unfortunately the finance of doing that um, was, was a little too much at the time. Um, so thought, well, I'll, I'll take the gamble of coming back uh, to the UK, knowing that again, on the qualifications I had, I wasn't going to get a job definitely not a full-time job I probably wouldn't even get a part-time coaching job in an elite environment so um, I came into Forest and um, I put myself out there and I came here on a voluntary basis and I I got myself around the place and got myself around a lot of people got onto my B license and uh, yeah I'd like to think it's worked out since then but that was the main reason really for my my progression I felt that I needed to I needed to push myself with those UA for qualifications at that time. And um, yeah, so. So you talked,
2: you talked about, you mentioned you went in voluntarily because a lot of people ask me the question and uh, just general question, how did you get into Academy football? So you you said you went in voluntarily. How did you do that? How did you connect? How did you do that introduction? What what are the first steps and tips for anybody doing that?
1: Uh, It's a lot of rejection. It's a lot of letters. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of phone calls that might not be returned. That's the, that's the reality um I think that it's I I mean I I tried to get myself as much as I could in in a variety of different places I was I was fortunate at the time that um one of my best friends was in within Forest on an internship um so full-time internship so he just said look my friend's looking for some coaching experience if there's any opportunities and and it, and it, it went from there really I think that building that network, building those connections for people that want to be part of the industry is so important. And if you can just get talking to people, because you don't know where these conversations will lead, not even the short term, but the long term, I think that having those conversations and making sure that you come across well to these people might just open a door for you. And and I was fortunate that that's what happened to me. And um, it definitely wasn't a short amount of time I was, uh, I probably did sort of Nine months where I was I was volunteering and I, wouldn't, I was I've never made to do that. It was something that I wanted to do. I was doing little part-time jobs on the side just to get some work and some money in. But I knew that if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be able to work in football. So it's um, it's about not giving up really when you get those opportunities as well. I would say, and I'm sure so, you've been through same sort yeah. of situations as well.
2: Absolutely, mate. And so, so tell us about that first opportunity. What was your first academy? You've gone in there voluntary. What was the first? paid gig
1: yeah so uh, when i was in here at forest then i was so i was working around the pre-academy in the foundation phase and exposing myself to that and then after, at the end of that um i i was offered an opportunity to work with the under sevens here at uh, forest on a part-time basis so two nights a week um coming in working with them um off the back of that i then put myself forward and said well if you've got any any sessions that need covering with the foundation phase and so the 9s nice to 12s, then let me know. And I'll, I'm happy to hang around and help out. And um, it sort of snowballed from there. Went from the 7s to the 8s. And then an opportunity with the under 11s came up once I'd finished my B licence and and got that. Stayed with those into under 12s um, before I I was fortunate to get my opportunity at Rotherham on a full-time basis. So ended up leaving leaving here to for some full-time coaching.
2: So let's talk about that that Rotherham opportunity then how did that come about
1: um same same way as trying to get yourself your, your voluntary roles really a lot of phone calls a lot of emails a lot of texts um it was i saw the role advertised um I, I i put myself forward like i had done for a number of roles really at that point Oh, it was a
2: it was full time it was the full time foundation phase lead that was, was yeah. advertised was it
1: yeah yeah so it was advertised yes um so i just put myself forward put my cv in And to be honest, didn't hear anything for two or three months Um, and then got a phone call out of the blue. Um, Was I still interested? They'd not had an opportunity to recruit yet. Um, So did I want to go in for an interview? Yep. No problem. Went for my interview. Um, Actually, as well, didn't get the job. Um somebody else was offered the job, they then decided to not take it. So I was then offered the job off the back of that. So it's all things like this that that fall into place for you and, and without putting yourself out there, you, you wouldn't get the opportunity. So
2: was it was it um was it a difficult decision to leave forest? No disrespect to Rotherham, obviously forest. You've got those two stars on your chest. It's a massive club, even maybe you know, not at the heights of it used to be. But was it a challenge? If you know, was that pool of full-time football so strong you thought, you know, tell us about that decision making process?
1: Yeah. So I was obviously I was part-time here at Forest. I was working full time for the FA at the time as well, um, at St George's Park and um which was a great role. Um ultimately I'd missed that feeling that I was discussing about what I um, that I had at New York Red Bulls where you're you're on the grass most of the day, you're planning most of the day. It's football focused and a lot of my role at the FA was was very admin heavy and it was um, it was research based which I, I had um, I had a background in research through my degree which and I really really enjoyed it. I met so many great people and I I, I learned so many incredible things. So Dr. Wayne Allison was my my, uh, my manager there and he, he taught me so many different things and I'm really appreciative of that. But the law of working full-time in a football club was what I'd missed really and being able to share and having the opportunity to shape a program, shape a phase myself. Um, I hadn't had that opportunity yet and I felt that um, it was an opportunity at Cat 3 Football that I, I couldn't turn down really. So um, yeah, I don't regret it at all. I think it was it was brilliant for me. It was fantastic. But it does seem, uh, on paper, I agree with you, it seems I've left the FA in Nottingham Forest for Rotherham United. It, it seems a bit of a, an odd one, but it was it was great for my career and it was great for my personal development as well. So then, so, so then tell us about that then. What were
2: your first impressions as you've gone into Rotherham? The, the, what was it, the contrasts and similarities that you had between Forest and, and that club?
1: Yeah, I think that um, <laughs> the... There was a difference in the standard of, of of player, of course. I think that the the restrictions you have at Category Three compared to some of the other clubs in this country is is quite wide ranging. You get some Cat Threes who are really well, um, really well financed, really well staffed. Um, we had we 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 weren't in a bad place, but we were we were in a place where we could push on and be more of a. a we wanted to be like a top Cat Three level club, which is what we were looking for. And um, when I arrived, they had really, really big groups of players, Um, so 20 plus players in each age group, the nines through to the, at the time it was the 11s before I had the 12s there as well. Um, But there was a lot of players there and I felt coming from an environment like Nottingham Forest, where, uh, where we were trying to drive elite players that we needed to have smaller groups, with more coaches to have more one-to-one or like we ended up with a ratio of about one to five players where we could really make real impacts with those players and really help them develop and then try and add to that as the years went on. Um, so we went down a completely different route with that, which obviously was, um, initially quite painful to try and put in place, but, um, Uh, for a number of different reasons but but was so rewarding by the end of it because the players got so much work with their coaches um that we we started to really see some real quick development and real growth for the club as well from the foundation phase so um I, i suppose the other challenge with a club like that is um we had sheffield united and sheffield wednesday just down the road category two clubs um big clubs within this country as well um you walk around Rotherham Town Centre, and most people are wearing a Sheffield United or a Sheffield Wednesday shirt. They're not wearing a Rotherham shirt, and the young kids on Rotherham United fans—they're one of the Sheffield club fans or a Manchester club or someone like that. So, trying to attract the the standard of players to that kind of club was, was a challenge as well. But ultimately, our our program showed them why why they should be part of our program maybe go maybe rather than going elsewhere so i was really proud of that by the end of that
2: you mentioned about that the challenge of implementing and creating you know a new program tell us a bit about that process then in terms of what did you do what did you implement what was your vision for the foundation phase at rotherham
1: um yeah so we what i really wanted to try and produce like i said is a lot of players having a lot of time on the ball and a lot of time with the coaching staff so um over time what we implemented we had we used to have two training sessions a week we added a third training session a week the third training session on a monday night was in an indoor it was actually in a cricket hall but it was purely technical work we did nothing else for an hour Huge speaker, like music blaring. Kids loved it, but they were they had loads of touches on the ball. We had size four, size three, size two, size one, size two and three footsals. All we literally just used to open the bags, chuck them all over the hall, and just say just shoot, just get the nearest ball. And so then and then we'd go past someone and we'd nick the ball off them and give them a different one, and uh, and it would all be either isolated boy in a ball. Or it would be 1v1s or we'd be there'd be sort of semi-opposed practices where they're all moving in the same space. So they've got to recognise where the, where the space is to get themselves out of danger, but they're all on a ball at the same time. So we'd, we'd say, what, weak foot only, things like this. So we, we were really, really, really concentrating on really helping their technical side of their game um, at that Cat 3 level and having that specific session really, really helped um, and then the other thing we tried to do was we tried to vary up the different uh, training spaces they used. So we were restricted in the amount of space we had. Um, we used to have one full size pitch for the four age groups, so obviously roughly a quarter of the pitch each. Um, but then what we try, what we ended up doing over time with this extra session on a Friday, we managed to get the under twelves half a pitch on a Friday night. So as they're getting that transition period from. 9v9 into 11v11 they can start experiencing bigger spaces which opened up some more space for the younger age groups. so we started to see different physical returns from these players as well so the the program was really built around um really helping them technically really helping them with a variety of different spaces um and then we used to pose them questions so we had a question-based syllabus um so everything was about solving problems. So there was never anything we did at Rotherham, which was, we want you to do this or we want you to do that. It was, here's the question. How was it either as a team, as an individual, as a pair, as a unit, whatever it is, how are we going to solve that problem? Um, can, so, give us exam-
2: can you give us a couple of examples of that? Well, that might look yeah. like in different areas.
1: So <clears throat> um, for example, in, in possession, in the defensive third, it might be, how can we play out from the back? Something as simple as that, but it was there was never a right well we've got to play this way or we've got to have this many players or we've got we want to overload in this area or we want you to stay on the ball here but not here it was there's the question how can we play out from the back we'd come up with some solutions as the weeks went on and and we'd try them out either allowing the players to try them or we'd like write them out on the tactics board or or whatever it would be um and then we'd have the same out of possession as well so um for example if we look at the same sort of third so attacking third out of possession how do we win the ball high up the pitch how are we going to do it who's going to be the one that does it how we're we going to do it as a group do we do it on our own so the way that looks at 5v5 football compared to 9v9 11v11 football by the time you reach the end of the foundation phase was obviously very different um but it allowed the players and the coaches importantly as well to be creative with how they educated either themselves or the players to be able to solve these problems. And um, it was just a really good environment to be part of for, for everyone there, really. What
2: was the main challenges from going from being a part-time academy coach to a lead of a phase?
1: Um, it's, <coughs> it's it's I don't think anything really prepares you for it. Um, there's obviously a lot of... Um, there's a lot of changes in terms of the responsibility you have for the coaching staff, for the players, for the program, the the amount of time you spend speaking to parents is, uh, and people can tell you how much and say, oh, you'll spend a lot of time speaking to parents. And people don't realize until you're actually doing it when you're, your wife's looking at you at 11 o'clock at night because you're texting someone because their son's got the wrong socks and you've got to make sure they've got the right socks for the next morning and, and things like that. It's, it, it is never ending, to be perfectly honest, uh, being a lead phase. And um, that's not a complaint. Um, I love it. But the, me- the main differences are as a part time coach, you can you can properly concentrate on your session and your group and you can maybe if you really want to you can really focus on what you're doing as a lead phase you need to have your finger in every pie with every age group with every player there's so many different stories of so I mean as as we know now a lot of players will have uh, might have parents who aren't together so they might have two or three family units then you've got the grandparents off the back of that and then you've got coaches who are in similar situations as well and you've got to be mindful of all these different life experiences all these people have um yeah it's just it's it's far bigger than probably anyone prepares you for as a part-time member of staff before you get that full-time role um it's, uh... And
2: that was that was going to be my next question as well because you talked about you know that you know planning each day and being on the grass every day. That's what you missed. Do, do you miss an element of that because your lead phase? And you have to handle all the other parts of the the admin and the. Relationships and all that sort of thing.
1: Definitely, definitely. I think I was a, a, a little naive when I thought I'll well, when I get the lead phase role, I'll be on the grass a bit more because ultimately I was probably on the grass a little bit less uh, than I was as a part-time coach. And um, you do you do have to maybe sacrifice your own time on the grass for for other people or for something else that's going on, and that's the reality of the role and the the misnomer of the lead phase coach part of the title sometimes gets missed. And I think that what I've learned over the years. So now I've obviously I did the role for four years at Rotherham. I've done the role for two years here now. What I've learned is that I need to make sure that I plan to make sure that I'm coaching as well because I I feel like it's really important that the lead phase coach is out on the grass coaching regularly because how can we all sit in a room and say that we want to work in a certain way or have an opinion on players and things like that, if we're not the ones out there coaching them. So um, I've got a lot better at doing that for myself over the last few years. Um, so how did that
2: work at, how did that work at Rotherham and then how much did you take a team or did you float? How did that work in practice?
1: Um, I, I, tended to float a lot more at Rotherham Um, and then what I would do is towards the the, end of my time there I'd attach myself to the under 12s because they're the oldest age group obviously within the phase um, just before we pass them on to the YDP so um, but yeah I would tend to float we we had a system in place as well at Rotherham for a while where we used to rotate the coaches round so we would say right well you're going to do six weeks with the under nines six with the under-10s, six with the under-11s, six with the under-12s. And I would include myself in that rotation as well so that when it came to the end of the season, I'd, I'd coached all of those players as well. Um, so I, I had to try and put things like that in place to ensure that I got my time on the grass as much as all the other coaches did as well. So.
2: And what was the what was the thought process behind rotating each coach every six six weeks to each team? A um,
1: few, few different things, really. It was... Um, I felt it was really important for the coaches. Um, good challenge for the coaches where they some coaches might feel really comfortable coaching 5v5, 7v7 football, for example, but haven't had much exposure to 9v9 or 11v11. So that gave them that opportunity. Likewise, when, you're, when you've got used to coaching 9v9 or 11v11, it might be important to say, right, well, where are these players coming from? So that you can start understanding what players have we got coming back through the system later on as well. Um, we felt it was healthy for the players to have different voices at different times. So although we were all on the same message and we were working in the same ways, it was just a different personality. Obviously sometimes players can become very attached or detached from coaches. And so if that's happening where they, they maybe don't feel the connection with their coach, at least uh, in a few weeks time, whether it be six to 12 weeks time, they know, well, actually I, I might be able to work with, him again, and that, and that might spark me back into life a little bit. So, um, it was it was a really interesting exercise. We did it for a couple of years, um, and then we went back to the m- maybe more traditional way of having two coaches at each age group. Um, but it was it was very interesting, and it was it, it, got, it got us a lot of returns. Um, but we ultimately we felt like it was better going back to the 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 two at each age group really.
2: Interesting. Okay, so just before we move on, just talk a little bit about your your job at the FA. You talked about you're a your head of research there or something, or you worked as a coach researcher. Tell us about that. Yeah. What does that role entail?
1: So, um, yeah, I was I worked in coaching research. Um, the, so Dr. Wayne Allison was the, the, the head of that programme. So what we used to do there is we had a, a variety of different research projects that the, the FA would commission through the year that would go across the whole game. So whether that be grassroots, men's, uh, men's uh, senior football, women's senior football, um, boys, girls, whatever it would be, disability, sport, things like that. um, It would what we'd look into is a a certain area of coaching. So I would say that maybe one of the um, one of the research projects that people might be more familiar with was the uh, mentoring program came out of that so um, obviously the FA used to run the the mentor program through the grassroots game where they had hundreds of grassroots mentors that went into clubs and and helped coaches and um, that came off the back of a research project um, that was commissioned by the FA and done by I believe it was Edge Hill University Um, to then uh, influence right well why do we need mentors so it was the the research behind what we then put into practice as an organization really and then what my role was a little bit so that was more um, Wayne Allison's role my role was more bringing research to the forefront of people's minds within the organization Um, so allowing people to understand what research is out there whether it be um, technical research, whether it be um, to do with, that, with tactical work or mentoring or the psychological side of the the game. It was, can we bring research and put it into practice in a variety of different ways through the education department? Um, that was more my role, trying to help people know where that is and actually have it to hand, um, which was great. And like I say, I, I, I work with so many different people, so many different... Um, so many different parts of the game I mean, I mean as everybody's aware the FA is such a big organisation that um, you can be doing something completely different day to day and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it um, and St George's Park is a fantastic place to be every day what a great high performance centre that is um, but ultimately I missed the club environment at the time and that's, that's why I chose to, to move on from there at that point
2: so then tell us then about your next role at, at forest how did that come around did the move from rotherham to forest
1: um yeah so um sorry so can i two seconds do you need me to move chris uh do do, do 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 half an hour sorry mate that's right mate <laughs> um sorry say that again mate sorry
2: so yeah so tell us about your your move from rotherham back to forest
1: yeah so um Similar to how the Rotherham situation came around, really, the, the lead foundation phase coach role here was advertised. Um, I uh, I saw that. I absolutely loved my time here. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Still knew a few people here, um, both in full-time and part-time capacities. So... Um, Made a few phone calls and and saw what the situation was and and was just told look they were looking for applications if if I was interested then put myself forward and and we'll see where we go from there and so did that went through the interview process and was was fortunate enough to be offered the opportunity to come back and lead the foundation phase which I was really really pleased with and really proud with.
2: What was tell us about that? What is the typical interview process for a head foundation phase at a big club like that?
1: So I was. Um, I was asked to present on what I would do in the first 100 days in the role. Um, So obviously with the experience I've got in the role, it was what, that was it. What would you do in the first 100 days? And I I had 10, 15 minutes to present to the academy manager, the assistant academy manager and the head of coaching that this is what I would like to do moving forward. Um, So what I did, I broke that down into for 25 day periods and talked a lot about how I would communicate with the people already here and start to understand what we what we are what we do what we do really well what we could improve with um, and then and see where we were and review that at the end of those 100 days so um, I found that a really interesting project to go through even if I hadn't have got the the role i I, I really enjoyed trying to think well actually if I did get this, how would I make this role? Uh, I hadn't made this role work. It was really interesting. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. And then following that was the sort of more traditional, um, like questions that you might get. Um, the most interesting question I got was the most simple one, uh, which was my first question after my presentation, which was why forest? And I, I thought that was brilliant. Like, well, why, why do you want to come and work for forest? It was, it was great. And, um, I was obviously fortunate enough to rely on my past experiences here and and how much I'd really enjoyed it here, but also I knew how much this club wanted to push themselves forward uh, over over the next few years, and and I really wanted to be part of that. But I thought that was a great question to be asked.
2: And so tell us then about you. So you get you get the position. You know you hit the hit the ground running as it were. What are the first first things you got to do when you're going in there is it similar similar to what's at Rotherham or? What was this a different environment tell yeah. us about
1: those yeah very very different environment um, we again we we seem to have reasonably large groups when we when i came in here uh, in terms of numbers of players but the of the standard is 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 very very good i think that the the thing that struck me when i came back into here was um, if i look at it and i look at every age group we'd have what i would call two, three, four wow players in in every age group. And it was and you just standing there and training those first few weeks watching them and going, Wow, what a player he is, or what a player he could be. Look at the potential he's got and yeah. how far can we push him. And I think that's that's when you're looking at obviously this is this um being a, a Cat 2 programme, a really high standard Cat 2 programme that has a tradition of producing young players that play at the top level, play international football and seeing some of those players that that were already in the programme was, was fantastic, so... Uh, that struck me straight away is, uh, when I came in. And then the process was, yeah, similar. There was a really good technical program that was in place here. Fantastic technical program um, that the foundation phase was based around. So that was great to have that, to be able to, to work with. And then what we've tried to do over the last couple of years is add in a bit more of the the game around that. So the, uh, what we call the moments of the game. So attacking transition to defend defending and transition to attack and um, so we tried to a- add those in in a more age-appropriate way through the foundation phase to to complement the the technical program that was was already here.
2: Tell us a bit about the technical program first what does it look like?
1: So we have <laughs> we have eight parts of our technical program here and um, so what we do is we concentrate on that During different times of the week. So, for example, we would on a Monday night, that's our technical night within the foundation phase. Um, So, these eight different technical parts will come out at different times. So, um, we look at staying on the ball, finishing, movement off the ball, turning, passing, receiving, team possession, and dribbling. So, we'd look at all of those, all of those different things throughout the throughout the season periodized through the program um, and we concentrate on those on Monday nights. So that's, we would do, for example, if we had a group of 16, for example, with two coaches, we'd split that group into two eights and then we'd work with them as those two eights and and for 90 minutes and it would be some unopposed, some semi-opposed, some opposed work, all based around one of those technical elements on a Monday night.
2: So, so, tell us about like a typical week then. So tell us about, you know, what, so that's your Monday night. How many How many times are the boys in and give us, the, you know, what sort of stuff they're doing every night?
1: Yeah, so the boys the boys are in three times a week um, for training. So usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, through uh, from nines through to under-12s. Um, As each night has a slightly different focus, as I say, Monday is a is a technical night. Um, Wednesday is our moment of the game focus that I mentioned a moment ago, and then Friday nights we concentrate on what we call our identity here at Forest. So that would be that's more game based work. That's more um, what we try and do is we incorporate the technical syllabus focus and the moment of the game syllabus focus into one session. So we try and marry the technical moments and the moments of the game up together to make sure that they either complement or really severely contrast each other so that then we can put them into an identity session, which is about how we how we like to play at Nottingham Forest, both as individuals or small units, units or a team. Um, so yeah, that's that's a typical week for us, with obviously our, our games will then be on a on a Sunday as well.
2: So, so then give us an uh, So, so Wednesday night is your moment's night. Give us a typical session. What that looks like.
1: So, with that, we'll might create some sort of scenario where the or with condition game, constraints-based games, things like that, where we're trying to bring out a specific moment of the game and use our language that we'd like to bring to life. So, um, for for example, if we are if we're attacking then we might we like to look after the ball we we have preferential ways that we like to play so if we're attacking we like to be what we call a probing team so that's possession based move the ball quickly high ball speed high tempo high technical quality to create spaces for people to either get on the ball In pockets to space, um, or we're able to penetrate space and hurt space in behind to create goal scoring opportunities. So um, we'd use those kinds of languages in and around our sessions, so they might be smaller sessions that will then open out into what, what you traditionally call I suppose like a, a phase of play or a functional practice or it might be a small-sided game something like that where the the real focus is on well we're in this moment of the game or we try and manipulate it to say well this moment is going to come out so here's here's what we're going to get out of it so uh, Wednesday night's are really good fun for the boys.
2: And so then the Friday night gives a typical Friday night session then in terms of, you know, I guess all the coaches, they want to know the juicy details, it gives the drills <laughs> or the practices, you know, the session design.
1: So Friday night, uh, like I said, we try and combine both. So um, let's say we'll, we'll stick on that attacking theme. And let's say we were working on passing for our technical work on the Monday as well. So we might start a Friday session with, with a technical passing practice. Um, a technical passing practice where the the boys have to make some sort of cognitive decision. So rather than us say, well, A starts on the ball, passes to B, passes to C, the ball comes back to A and, and so on. It might be, well, A's on the ball and A has five different decisions. Which decision do they make? Do they make the decision based on the weight of pass that they receive, the angle of pass they receive, where their first touch goes? Can they play it first time? what technique of pass that they want to use, depending on the distance, depending on whether there's other people filling the spaces in front of them as well. Um, so we we'll, we'd probably start on a Friday night with a practice like that. Um, then we'd move on to a practice that would incorporate that probing element. So the, the, the attacking side of us, so that would be obviously possession based, but then what we try and do is incorporate those passes that they've just been working on those passing techniques. Um, into into the the more game-based practice. And then we would, after that, our session design for identity is we would play a game. And even with the younger ones, we would have, for example, we'd have the the five lanes on the pitch, numbered one to five from left to right. And we'd work in the thirds, the defending third, midfield third, attacking third. So we might set a pitch out with those markings out on the pitch. And then what we would do is throughout the game, we might stop the game or we might set the team's different challenges based on using those markings to bring out how we would play. So if we're a probing team, if we're in that moment, we want to fill all five lanes on the pitch. So if there's an opportunity where the coach sees, well, the ball comes into somebody in lane three in the middle of the pitch, for example but he doesn't have anybody in lane one and five in a wide area. He'd go, he'd be able to stop that and say, right, we'll use the references that you've got, open the pitch out. Can we make it as big as possible? Gives us the opportunity to probe in different ways. And then he'd talk about, well, how can we link your passing techniques into this that you've been working on this week? So if you're working on a a longer pass, so it might be a a laces pass here, we try and refer to those, those uh, different techniques with elite level players. So a driven pass with the laces, for example, for us is a a Tony cruise. So we'd say, well, traveling that kind of distance, would you need to use your cruise pass to find that? Or could you find it in a different way? So um, we try on Friday nights to link everything together into one, this is what Nottingham Forest are in one 90-minute to 120-minute session.
2: Interesting. And And then is there any day release program in the foundation phase?
1: Yeah, our under 12s, once they once they reach um, secondary school, they come out of school twice a week, two afternoons a week, um, and they come out with the under 13s at the same time. So that gives them that stretch, that challenge to come in and, and train with the older boys as well. So yeah, that's two afternoons a week. They do that. Um, so what, after, what afternoons they come in? So they'll come in on a Wednesday and a Friday. So okay. they'll come in, they'll come in, they'll train during the afternoon, do their education. Um, as part of that, they'll then have a gym program. They'll do, um, they'll they'll also have what well, a gym program in the afternoon and the evening. So they'll do two lots of athletic development, and then they'll train again in the evening. So a a typical day release day for them would be they'd arrive here with us around 30 and then they'd leave around nine o'clock at night.
2: Interesting. And tell us a bit about like, um, the planning process. So you and your team of coaches, you talked about the different moments in the game, different technical areas. How do you work? Do you work with like a, from a syllabus or, you know, a, a technical and tactical cycle? How does yeah. Does that work?
1: Yeah. So we, we plan all that at the start of the season. So at the start of the season, we'll plan our, our syllabus, marry everything up all the way through from what would be August through to May, June time at the end of the season. Um, and, the the coaches are given that at the start of the season. So they're able to then work and think, right, well, if I'm working on passing now, when's the next time I'm looking at passing or when's the next time I'm looking at attacking or defending, whatever it would be. So they can, they can plan throughout the whole season. Then what we, what we like to do here is that the coaching partnerships are, are able to bring that technical syllabus and that periodization to life. However, they see it fit. So we, we have language that we we all use common language we have the syllabus in place we do have things like the the lanes and the thirds that we use that are our identity but how they do that how they uh, practice that uh, sorry how they design their practices how they decide, well, um, is one coach going to lead a whole week and then lead the match day at the weekend as well? Or are they going to go, well, I'll lead one day, you lead the next day, then I'll lead again and you lead the match day, whatever it's going to be. Um, we really encourage them to produce a, a relationship between themselves to then bring that to life in different ways, and which is great for me as a lead phase because I, I attach myself with the under-12s again, as I did similarly at, at Rotherham. Um, but I have two part-time guys that are with me as well so um, on Friday nights for example when we do those identity sessions the three of us will plan those together and what tends to happen is because we are it's more game-based the two guys that work with me Ian and Aaron they will they will lead a team each and I will lead the practice so we're, we're able to so I might stop the session to do big picture things and work out everything whereas that and then their work they're walking around going to their individuals on their teams and saying well how does this affect you what can we do for you what can we ha- can we try and bring that technical work in we've worked in earlier in the week and really marry it all together um so that's how we try to work as as a, as a unit throughout the season as as, as coaches but yeah, it's um, it's definitely planned out, thought out. It's methodical, right from the start of the season all the way through to the end of the season.
2: So, for instance, you'd have one technical theme for a week, or two weeks, or three weeks, or how does that work in terms of you know, for example, those technical areas?
1: Yeah, we we rotate everything every two weeks, so two it weeks. gives it gives us an opportunity to say that right. Well, as again, when when I did come into here and we and like I said this technical program, the the eight technical parts of the program were already here. But what we used to do is we'd have all of those for six weeks. And so what it tended to be is you do that for six weeks and you wouldn't do it again. And so if you were an under nine, you you'd do that technical work and you wouldn't do it again until you're an under 10. Mm. And so we, we tried to break it down a little bit more to say, right, well, if we do it in two week cycles, then we're able to continually revisit things, but also we're able to apply the technical parts of the, of the program to different moments of the game as well, because as we know that, that all these technical parts of the game happen all the time. So to try and say that we're, we can only concentrate on one technique in one moment is not football. So we've tried to move it around so that we can have as many different technical elements of the game married with as many different moments of the game as possible. And so you, you, you recently
2: achieved Category 1 status. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've joined the, the, the exclusive club there. So tell us a little bit about that. What, what what will be the main changes day-to-day that you'll see, or the players will see?
1: Yes. Yeah, obviously, it's very, very exciting for us as a football club and a fantastic achievement. Um, I would say, as I mentioned before, the club's got a tradition of producing top, top talent. And so it's it's where we see ourselves as a football club. So it's excellent that we get the opportunity um, in terms of in changes for us, um, we're hoping that obviously now we will we'll have more people around the programme. We can have a more robust programme moving forward where we can go into more detail. Specifically, what we're trying to do is look into going into more detail with the individual. Um, so we, as every club will do in, in the UK, we, we have individual learning plans for the players. Um, which are well used and, and they tend to align with the technical program that we do on a Monday so that they can concentrate on that, on that personal development on a Monday evening as well. But what we're trying to do hopefully moving forward is, is develop that even more. Um, you mentioned the day release program, trying to incorporate more individual focus into that, into that day release program for the players as well. Um, will be really interesting when we move into the cat one program um, we, we, we just, we really hope that we're able to look at our program now, which we believe as, as I've said, we're a, a top cat two program. We're able to say, right, if, if we're going to be cat one, let's not just be a category one, let's go and be a really, really good category one. So let, let's, can we do everything we do in more detail with more quality, with more impact on the players, with more impact on the coaching staff as well and, um, and that identity that we're trying to produce will be, will be really focused on over the next twelve months. Um, so that'll be really exciting to to see how how we're able to translate that all the way from under twenty threes all the way down to the the start of the academy program under nines, but also how that looks in the pre academy with the sixes, sevens, and eights. Because we're really proud that the the language that we use and the the way we like to play is a club approach. It is what we do all the way through the system. All all that changes is the age and stage the players are at. Um, So if we watched our under-23s, we'd be able to hear and see the elements of our programme that we have in the foundation phase. Um, For example, the technical programme we've mentioned quite a lot. The under-18s, over the last couple of seasons, in their pre-season, have done They've used our tech, the foundation phase technical programme for their players. That's what they've done through each... They've done a week in each technical moment, uh, technical element, sorry, throughout pre-season. And they've really focused on that. And And we're really proud of that as a football club, that we we have that continuity across everything. And I'm really hoping Cat 1 allows us to, to make that even stronger and even more robust over the next few years.
2: And what about yourself? Give us a typical week for you, academy football what does that look like
1: uh busy uh, <laughs> um now it's um i'll never ever complain about working in professional football and full-time football it's uh, a job people would love to do but it is very busy you have to be very flexible um largely for myself I I would try and take one day off in the week um so usually I'd be off on a on a Thursday because we don't have any of the 9s to 12s in on a Thursday um although we do have the pre-academy program in so um our our assistant foundation phase and lead pre-academy coach who's full-time he looks after that on those days um so yeah in during the days Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday um we're we're great here at this football club that I'm um, if if I come in in the morning at nine o'clock everyone says morning Jake if I come in at two o'clock in the afternoon everyone just goes afternoon Jake there's no you've got to be in by a certain time you've got to work you've got to do this so long as we're achieving what we need to achieve and we're doing our work and we're where we need to be when we definitely need to be there um, there's no definitive time but for us training nights because we split our training nights with the foundation phase to give again a little bit like I was talking about with Rotherham give players more space so we can have um, more age and stage appropriate areas to work in our under 12s train later in the evenings now so our under 12s don't finish training until nine o'clock at night at the moment so they'll come in usually they'd come in for six o'clock and they do a 40 minute analysis session so on a Wednesday that would usually be a post-match analysis session from the weekend using their footage which will be aligned with our syllabus focus for that for that period as well um and then they'll do a 40-minute gym session as well athletic development session either out on the pitch or in the gym depending again on that's again focused and aligned with the football syllabus so if we're working on defending for example um the, the players might do a lot of change of direction stuff, or they might do a lot of explosive, like jumping work and things like that. Um, a lot of strength, that upper body strength-based things. It's all aligned with our football program, and then they go out and train for ninety minutes. After that, from seven thirty until nine. So, um, and then whilst all that's going on, we've got the nines, tens, and elevens training as well. So I'm trying to get myself around that, and then get myself out for the twelves training. So. Um, yeah, busy weeks and then weekends will depend on what we're doing. It will depend on whether we're part of tournaments, whether we're in. Um, we've entered a few leagues to try and increase the competitiveness for our players over the last few years. Um, obviously, the Premier League games program runs on a on a Sunday as well, um, so we. Will we'll, uh, we'll, will will be part of that every week, and that will depend on who we're playing, as to how we play and what different players play in different games and things like that. So there's a there's a lot a lot going on every single week, um, and uh, I'm sure my wife would be the first to say when I tell you that I get a day off in the week that that's not always true at all. Uh-huh. <laughs>
2: and what what about? I mean, and what about yourself? What what are your aspirations in the game? What what you know? What was what's what are your targets?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's an interesting question, and it's um I I think that over the last few years um I've I've opened myself up to different things, and I've opened my mind to different things. I think that um, if you'd have asked me this question probably five years ago, I'd have said that I definitely want to be coaching a a full time group so an under 18s or an under 23s or 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 something like that um working 11v11 11 11 football i think that um being part of this current cat 1 process that we've gone through um uh, i have been fortunate to look at a lot more of like the strategic side of things and the the syllabus periodization and and our identity that i've discussed a lot and things like that so that that side of developing that for the football club or developing coaches as well is something that's, that's interesting me more and more. Um, I would say I'm, I'm at a point in my career where I don't really know the answer to your question at the moment. And I'm, I'm really open to what opportunities might be afforded to me. Um, but I'm, I'm really passionate about ensuring that I work in an elite environment, developing elite players developing elite coaches. And, um, and that's, that's where my real, real passion lies that working at the, as, as higher level in whatever age and stage that is that I possibly can.
2: Do you think, I mean, last like the question is, you know, is it just, would you see yourself remaining in the foundation phase or would you aspire to, you know, work in the YDP, the manager of that or... Or you just, you know, see where the road takes you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think see where the road takes me. I, I, I love what I do working with younger players. And I say I've been full time within this phase for six years now. I think that I I still challenge myself within our environment with the 11v11 11 11 games. So, for example, I, I take the under 14s one session a week here. Um, as I mentioned at Rotherham, I, I was around the under 18s programme as well there. So, um I do think I have value within the eleven v eleven game as well. And if the opportunity was there to to impact that and to to challenge myself in that, then I wouldn't say no to it. But also if I was to concentrate on working with younger players for the rest of my career, then then I, I love what I do as well. So let's let's see where let's see where it takes me.
2: Um and what would your advice be to a young, aspiring coach who wants to maybe you know, like get those first steps in academy football but then have a career make that you know a full-time career and that that glamorous cl- career of yours in academy football
1: um it's definitely not glamorous that's another, that's another <laughs> yeah. mis- misconception yeah. of academy exactly. football um, yeah. um look I would be be yourself be engaging put yourself out there don't be scared to be rejected, don't be scared to be told that you're not quite right for something at that moment in time, because there will be somewhere where you are right, there will be somewhere where you fit. Um, I've learned this a lot about myself over the last, what, 12, 13 years, being around academy football and and professional football clubs, that um, you want to be somewhere where you can be you and where you are wanted as well. And so don't, don't be scared to be that, but it's an industry where you have to be engaging. You have to be uh, full of energy. I think that if you're, if, particularly if you want to work with if any, I, I was going to say if, if you want to work with younger players, but I don't think that's true. I think if you want to work with any players, you've got to be engaging. You've got to be driven. You've got to, to be full of energy. And if, if you bring those traits to any football club, a lot of football clubs will see you as the person and think we can, we can mold this person. We can create this person into the coach that we want them to be or the, or the whatever role it is, the analyst, we want them to be. And I think you've, you've got to really put yourself out there and, and yeah, just, just enjoy it. And don't, don't be too down by rejection, build your network, communicate with a lot, a lot of people. Um, and as as i'm sure your listeners and you've realized i don't mind talking as well <laughs> um, so it's uh, you've you've just got to talk put yourself out there enjoy it and um, and yeah embrace whatever's put in front of you really
2: jake thanks mate it's been an absolute
0: pleasure appreciate
1: no your time no problem no problem really really appreciate it thanks for having me
0: thanks for tuning in to the mypersonalfootballcoach.com soccer player development podcast MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.